Hello everyone and welcome back to the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. I'm your host Jose Marchena and we have a special guest this week. Mark Hardy is a design recruiter with over 15 years experience and he's here to share with us the basic principles of recruiting designers. How do you work best with a hiring manager? What are the basic principles of design? And what are the different types of design roles out there? We'll discuss this and much more on the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. And uh, we're recording now. Hi, Mark. Hi, how you doing? Very good. And you, how are things? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Yeah, can't complain. All things Excellent. <laughs> well, thanks again for making time for this uh, this call. I really wanted to, to speak with you because you have quite quite a bit of experience when it comes to things like not just recruitment, not just the agency stuff, but also in-house and particularly design. And I think someone that really specializes in design is something um, uh, quite quite special, quite quite different and quite, um, quite a bit of a niche skill that you have there. So really wanted to dive deep into what it's like to, to recruit designers, maybe the types of roles and any well, practical advice that we can offer uh, listeners out there. I suppose just before diving into these topics, uh, just for the listeners that aren't incredibly familiar with your profile, can you maybe give us a quick summary of, of who you are and your experience? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been recruiting now for nearly 15 years, um, the last 10 years of which um, I've been predominantly focused on, broadly speaking, the kind of creative and design spaces. Uh, so about a year or so of that was within a recruitment agency and the, the most most of it since then has been in-house um, and I've done it within um, a digital agency, um, a tech consultancy and most recently a uh, product company. Um, and design and creative really is anything from very conceptual creative roles um, within sort of advertising and marketing. So things like art directors, creative directors, copywriters, folks that make marketing campaigns and adverts and you know things like that all the way through to the other side which is kind of more systems design which is things like user experience design interface design product design researchers um, people that make things that people use um, so quite a broad spectrum of things within those those areas um, yeah yeah, one of the things that really resonates with me when I look at design and the roles that I've engaged is it's really interesting because it's really what the a lot of the customers see. It's what the customer sort of feels and sees when they go mm -hmm. on a website or they start reading something. It's something that really, I mean, you have to have almost an eye and an ear for, for the customer itself and what they go through, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of similarities in terms of recruitment, you know, good recruiters are good recruiters. But I think one of the things that is interesting about design and creative is exactly to your point, there's the stuff that they produce is out there and you can see it and you can use it, you can feel it, you can watch it. Um, and I think when it comes to recruiting those folks and, you know, we'll talk about it, I guess a bit more in a bit, but the work is kind of central to everything, um, you know, probably more so than maybe any other specialism. And if there's any other sort of, you know, engineering recruiters out there that kind of want to disagree with that then, then cool but certainly from a design point of view you know you can have an amazing cv you can have an amazing linkedin profile of all the keywords all the right companies on it but ultimately it comes back to the work um and the work is the work is the work and you can't really kind of get get away from it so it's an, it's an interesting area to recruit for for sure 
Well, tell me about that because I know you started quite a bit in in the agency days with this sort of discipline. So just wanted to maybe unpack that agency time a little bit and what was it like to to go from agency to in-house? Were there any particular things that you noticed, big differences, Mm -hmm. anything along those lines? Sure. So I think um, if I go back a little bit, so my first recruitment job was working for an agency that specialized in placing former and retired police officers. Oh, wow. Okay. Into companies that were not the police. Um, so it was highly specialized, pretty niche, uh, pretty interesting. Um, and the reason I mention it is because um, the company was a recruitment company, but it also um, operated a job board. So when you're a recruiter, you could offer them recruitment services, so contingency, freelance, permanent recruitment, or you could offer them advertising. So if a client said to you, you know, we don't use recruitment agencies, but we advertise the jobs, I could pivot straight away and and try and talk to them about another thing. So that's quite a consultative approach to recruitment, I think. Um, And I really enjoyed it. I learned obviously a lot, you know, um, like you do in most recruitment agencies, you know, it's pretty full on, pretty high pressure. Um, and then I moved into digital recruitment because I worked a lot in the public sector and there's not a whole lot of money in public sector recruitment. And the, the digital and technology thing um, was obviously getting huge at the time. And um, it felt like an area where it was, it was always going to be interesting. There'd always be a demand for talent. So I went and worked for a digital agency called Cogs. Hmm. Uh, and they were very similar in the sense that they were a very consultative, very well-regarded recruitment agency. So I never kind of went through that typical agency background where it was like, you know, boiler room type stuff, you know, on the phones, like constantly. So I was quite fortunate in the sense I was learning my trade in really consultative, smart companies. Um, the, the thing with agency recruitment was I never really liked doing sales or business development. I was always better at like account management and like client management and doing the delivery piece. So talking to candidates and matching them with jobs and winning business and getting on the phone to clients was not really something. I mean, I kind of did it, but it was never really something that I enjoyed too much. Um, I guess at the time, in-house recruitment obviously was a thing. Um, But nowadays, like people go into agency recruitment with in-house as like a focus of something they want to do eventually. And at the time, it wasn't, I don't think, I don't remember it being such a huge thing at the time. But to cut a long story short, an opportunity came up with Sapien um, to join them initially working on their contract hiring team. And because I wanted to get out of agency recruitment, it felt like a good next move. So it wasn't, I want to move in-house. It was more, I don't really work in agencies anymore, but I enjoy recruitment and this this thing came up. So that was kind of my path from agency into um, in-house. I think in terms of learnings, I mean, I think I learned pretty quickly in-house that it's even, well, for me, it was even more intense and even harder than working in an agency. I think one of the reasons is there's just nowhere to hide when you're in-house. <laughs> hiring managers <laughs> know where you sit um, and you're that much closer to the fire, if that makes sense, in terms of delivering stuff. Um, and you're often, if you can't deliver or you're not able to deliver, they want you to provide a solution. Okay, cool you need to find a solution around this, whether it's send it to an agency, whether it's whatever it is, you have to find a solution. When you work in an agency to a great or lesser extent, you're probably working on a brief with maybe two or three other recruiters and it's a race against time to get someone in. And if it's a crappy brief, you can, you can say, I'm not working it, or you can say, yeah, I'll work it, but it'll be like the bottom of your list of priorities in house. You don't get that opportunity quite so much. 
you learn and observe pretty quickly also, I think, what companies actually like to work for. Um, and you know, really good recruitment agencies will take time to get to know the get to know the company, but you can't ever really get to know it without working in the company. So for me, another big learning was that observation of like how important it is to match a company's culture and the way they work with an individual as opposed to matching the skills. Um, and again, that's overly simplistic. So I know recruitment agency recruiters do that a lot, but in-house it looks totally different and you just get that kind of sense a lot more. Um, and I think the final thing is, I got a sense when I moved in-house that myself and the hiring manager were on the same side. So, you know, when you work for a recruitment agency, there's always that distance between you as the supplier and them as the client, the buyer of your businesses. Um, And again, you can have really great relationships with your hiring manager and there's like shades of gray when it comes to that relationship. But when you work in-house, you kind of, you are on the same side. You're literally on the same side. You want the same things. You're motivated by the same things. And there's a sense of allyship, I think, that you can cultivate that way that, and again, recruitment agency recruiters can definitely do that, but I don't think you can ever do it quite as well as when you work in-house. So they're the kind of three, I think, things that I noticed quite quickly about working in-house versus in an agency. Um, And they weren't really a surprise to me, but I think the level at which I understood it and how quickly I had to learn it was, was, um, was, was pretty interesting, I think. It's pretty funny you mentioned the part about there's nowhere you can hide because uh, I had to immediately think I had this one time for uh, a company long ago, I had this one hiring manager that um, it was actually for, I think, like commercial, like product roles. Mm -hmm. And it was in a WeWork um, building and the the office was in like the first floor. And sometimes I would just go to the second floor just to to have a coffee and sit down and maybe work in, in some quiet some quiet environment and still the hiring manager would come up all the way across the kitchen go up to me and like hey so where's my cvs and i'd be like oh hello uh yeah Yeah, yeah. well let me tell you about that you know so it's like sometimes you find people that are quite hands-off and they'll they'll let you be but some people some hiring managers they're quite hands-on and they want to be kept up to date they want to know what the pipeline looks like and um, yeah, when you're in-house, you need to be able to handle that sort of attention and, and pressure almost. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the physical it's the physical aspects of it, but also like instant messaging. So, you know, when you work in an agency, your communication is predominantly over email, I would say. Um, in-house, you know, they've got your phone number. There's usually some form of instant messaging thing, whether it's Slack or, or whatever it might be. So you're tapping away and all of a sudden an instant message comes up. It's like, hey, you're at your desk and it's kind of like, oh shit, I am, but <laughs> how am I going to get out of this one? So yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. And when it comes to, to design, design roles, like let's maybe talk about that because I really wanted to unpack, um, you know, for let's say if you're a beginner recruiter and you get your first design role, what are sort of the things you need to know in order to really crush crush the role right and and fill fill the role immediately i mean can you go into what, what that would look like but also maybe the types of design roles recruiters might encounter um and what that's like essentially yeah sure so i mean like i said before i think <clears throat> at its most basic you know good recruiters and good recruitment practice will work you know it's about information and relationships. You know, what information do I need to effectively fill this position? What information do I need to 
be able to find these people? And then what information do I need to have a really good conversation with them, a valuable conversation to enable me to push them through the process? So that isn't really any different whether you're hiring designers or data scientists, right? And then from a relationship point of view, you know, how do I work best with the hiring manager? How do I kind of mesh into his or her kind of way of working, way of thinking? And, you know, again, that's the same with with anything really. I think... um, Ultimately, with design, it always comes back to the work. So the number one thing is really quickly, you have to almost calibrate or understand or get to the bottom of someone's taste. So obviously, there's lots of technical things that go into good design, but there's also a lot of very subjective taste. I've lost count on the number of times that I've presented three or four candidates to a creative director and they've pick the one that in my mind was the least good of the three (laughs) and sat there thinking, oh, that's kind of odd. I wasn't expecting that. Or I sent the same profile to three different design directors and two of them have said, yeah, bring them in for an interview. And one of them said, "Uh, no, they're not right. And it's kind of like, so you're kind of dealing with that almost ambiguity or level of subjectivity or taste essentially, which, you know, you have to really kind of get your head around and almost remove your taste from the process and just get your head aligned with what they're looking for. Um, I think also with designers, I think it's important to understand how they work as much as it is what they produce. So, you know, have they worked in environments and contexts in terms of teams? Um, what kind of processes are they used to working under to deliver the output that they deliver? Um, because again, you know, you can hire a designer with amazing looking work, but their process that they use at that particular agency or company might be a little different to the agency that you're working at. And if they're not used to it and it doesn't work with the way they like to work, then it could end up being a, a, a difficult hire for you to make. And that kind of also is true for when you're searching for designers as well. I think one of the tricky things with design as well is the types of role that are out there. So, you know, design is very fragmented. Um, in terms of job titles in particular. Can you um, maybe unpack that? I was ro- I was lo- really looking forward to ask you about that because there's so many types of designers out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, this is just me from my limited experience, but there's like the UX and then UI and then product and then the researcher and then the designer yeah, yeah, and yeah. then this and that. So maybe just a quick summary of the most common sure. roles you might encounter. Sure, sure. One of the like one of the best things about recruiting designers is just sitting back and watching them fight over what they call each other. It's like pretty funny. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. So if you look at a design process, you normally want to understand what users and people need and want. Um, so you have like, let's say researchers. So research can be a defined role in a lot of companies, particularly bigger companies, but quite often designers will need to have an aspect of research to their skill set as well. So yeah. really digging into users, understanding, as I said before, <clears throat> who they are, what they need, why they need it, all that kind of good stuff. So before you actually design the solution, you're trying to figure out, okay, what is it we're actually trying to do here and why does it make sense to, to, to do it? Um, when you get into the design world itself, I mean, if we take as an example, UX designer, you know, design evolves over so quickly, you know, the complexity of, digital products, websites, apps, um, kiosks, augmented reality, it moves so quickly that I think, in my opinion, at its heart, design is design. And what you call yourself is really contingent on where you're working and who and what you're designing, essentially. But in terms of titles, I mean, a UX designer could go under the title UX designer, experience designer, 
UX, UI designer, um, product designer, service designer, all of these terms. So when you're building a search for a designer, I mean, good luck with that because you're literally, <laughs> you know, you can literally have like 15 different titles, which essentially could end up giving you very similar types of people. So there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, and what one company would call a UX designer, another company would call, let's say, a product designer. But actually, when you get down to it, they're doing something very, very similar. So you can get a bit bogged down in that, I think. And you can build searches that give you a lot of false positives um, when you're doing your kind of, you know, your Boolean searches and things like that. So it is it is tricky from that point of view. And then within the design world itself, you have people that are creating experiences um, that are more about usability and more about the, the way that things are being used. And then you have designers that are looking very much more at the aspect of what does this look like in someone's hand? You know, so what does the typography look like? What does the color look like? You know, um, the more kind of visual element to make it appealing mm-hmm. and make it, you know, and all this works together. And you'll get some people that are very competent across that whole spectrum from research to what it actually looks like in someone's hand. And you'll get some people that are like a little more comfortable with the middle part of that process, which is like, you know, figuring out what the problem is to solve and then the the way of solving it. So there is a lot of nuance to it and it can be difficult to navigate. I mean, it certainly was for me when I first got into it. I think one of the mistakes you can make is just take a job title and just think, okay, well, that job title means this and, and that's it. But, you know, you have to kind of dig under the skin a little bit more and get more to the kind of, okay, so how do you work? Um, and what part of the process are you involved in? Do you enjoy working in versus, you know, so if you've got a job, for example, where the hiring manager is like, you know, we're a three-man team, so we need someone who can do a bit of the research, to do a bit of the UX, to do a bit of the visual, and you speak to somebody who is essentially a visual designer, they can have amazing, beautiful work, uh, really good problem-solving skills, be a really great personality, but they're not going to be right for your job because you'll be asking them to get into the research aspect of it, which they're not really used to doing. So, it's important to understand and delineate between those parts of the process and what your hiring manager is asking you for them to have and then what the individual candidate you're talking to uh, can do and wants to do. Um, and a lot of that is picked out of conversation, but you can pick it up from from profiles and, and portfolios as well. Um, let's talk about, I suppose it's that part where you find sometimes, at least from my personal experience, you need to find a balance between UX and UI within designers. And some of them specialize more in UX, other Mm -hmm. ones specialize more in UI. And then there's also that aspect of, at least from my limited experience, some of them specialize more in web design, others more in mobile design. Mm -hmm. So there's also those other dimensions that you need to, that you need to keep in mind because some of the mistakes that I did early on is I would present uh, for a product designer role that they needed someone more specialized in web design um, and maybe tilting more towards UX type experience. I would, you know, it's it's such a gray area where the person you present ends up being more UI oriented and more mobile design oriented. Yeah. So I yeah. suppose, how do you look after that that balance? And is it more a case of just calling the candidate and qualifying that? It can be. I mean, I think with if you look at UX, UI as a kind of a, an, an example, it's like, where does the UX element of that end and the UI part begin, right? So if you look at a portfolio and I, w- I would say that in the majority of cases, most designers are pretty good at sort of specifying what they are good at and within each individual project, what they did and maybe what they didn't do. 
So I would say in a lot of cases, you can probably tell from a portfolio or from a LinkedIn profile, the way they talk about the work they do. You know, if they talk a lot about the problem space, unpacking the what we're trying to solve and how we're trying to solve it part of it, the likelihood is, is they're kind of interested in that kind of building the solution aspect of it. And I think, you know, and again, this is very generic and very generalized before, you know, designers kind of shout at me, (laughs) you know, on the UI side of things, a UI portfolio will be very visual. It will have usually not so much information or text about how they got to it. It will just be, look at this amazing looking work. So there are a couple of tells um, from the portfolio and from the LinkedIn profile, but ultimately it's a conversation, you know, um, I think. And I think, you know, if you're working on a design brief for the first time, I think, you know, getting to the people that are a definite no and then having the people that it's a maybe is really important. So sending profiles to managers as early and often as possible and and going through profiles and portfolios in person with a hiring manager is one of the most valuable things that you can do if you're starting out or working with someone for the first time. If I got a job tomorrow at a new company, I've got 10 years of experience, but I will be doing exactly the same thing uh, regardless of where I work. Because it's so important for you to have that face-to-face time with a manager and have them say to you, hey, this person isn't right because of this. And you will start to formulate, you know, you, the more no's you get, you kind of gradually move towards the yeses, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yes. So it's almost like a process of elimination <laughs> thing rather than a get to the good people thing. Um, you know, in a lot of cases with designers, you do need to have at least a 20 to 30 minute conversation with them to really get under the skin of, okay, I'm looking at your portfolio. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what I'm looking at and, and what you did versus what somebody else did and what you like to do versus what you would really rather do and that kind of thing? Um but yeah, I would say like getting get to those no's and understanding why they're no's will move you closer to the yeses um, and it will gradually start to seep in before you know it. You're like, okay, I know what I'm looking for now. So that would be one of my tips, I would say, to anyone working on design stuff for the first time. Spend time with the hiring manager um, and present present people to them early. Um, I've even presented people to hiring managers before I speak to the designers because the last thing you want to do is present people that you think are great having spoken to them and then have to go back to them and say, look, yeah. it's a big waste of time. So, yeah. Now you mentioned portfolios and that's such an important part because it's a huge thing in design. I had to learn the hard way that hiring managers, they'll look at a CV and they'll think, okay, it looks nice, but the, the proof of, of this person's experience and, and work yeah. is in the portfolio, similar to yeah. sometimes how tech leads want to see the GitHub profiles mm-hmm. of developers um so let's talk about portfolios and also the subjectivity of it because you pointed that out quite effectively i just look at my previous experience and i remember a hiring manager a product lead was telling me about the type of profile that he was looking for and then he would show me some portfolios mm-hmm. and he would just show me and then he would be like yeah this is what i'm looking for yeah to the untrained eye i'm like well what what exactly is it? Is it of yeah, this portfolio yeah, yeah, yeah. that that is impressive? And the way he described it was, yeah, the portfolio has a minimalist uh, approach to it, where yeah. it's a uh, it's not cluttered, but it's very simple, mm-hmm. very easy to navigate, a minimalist approach. And I was like, okay, yeah. I guess that's sort of what yeah, we're looking yeah. for. So I suppose have you had any unusual moments or scenarios where the the role and the portfolio or maybe the 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 material that you were looking for you had to really adapt your eyes to that 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 
to, to what the hiring manager was looking at. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, totally. And that's kind of what I was talking about before. There's so much nuance in it because like I said, a great portfolio for one company is not so great for another company. And um, there is a lot of nuance there. And sometimes, as I said before, even within the same company, you know, you might get some conflicting, um, you might get some conflicting sort of feedback on that. I think, I think with, with, with portfolios, I think it's difficult because all the design crew recruiters that I know um, are really interested in design. I mean, I am not a designer in any way, shape or form. I've got a film degree, which is kind of helpful in terms of um, sort of, uh, I think it's helpful anyway, in terms of um, reading um, uh, a piece of visual work. I think you do need to have a, at least an interest in what good digital design looks like. Yeah. Um, look on your phone, look at all the apps that you use on the phone. You know, they, they look, you know, a lot of the better ones out there look kind of similar. You know, you'll start to notice some of the things that the good ones do that the bad ones don't. I think with, with calibrating on the work, like I said before, show ask the hiring manager what products are out there that they really enjoy using and and, and working with you know um, look at some of the portfolios of the designers on the team already you'll be amazed if it, how many sort of similarities and patterns and trends that you can see so if it's a design team of six for example if you go into their linkedin profile the great thing about designers is a lot of them their linkedin profiles will have a portfolio link on there so before you meet the hiring manager for the first time if you look at all six of those portfolios or four or five of them, the likelihood is, is you'll start to see patterns and trends in the way they've presented their work, the way they talk about their work and what the work actually kind of looks like. So this is what I said before, you'll start to recognize the things that keep coming up in the good ones. And it's almost innate. I mean, you know, there are things about design that I just, I'm not an expert in design at all, but I'm quite good at recognizing what the good stuff looks like and asking the right questions of the hiring manager. So yeah, understanding their taste um, and, and just showing them lots of work and where it's a no, just like, you know, to your point, why exactly is this not right? Um, you know, it's usually pretty self-evident, I would say. But I think ultimately, if you like, you know, to your earlier point about having an eye for it, um, I think ultimately to be a really good design recruiter, I think you do need to have an appreciation of it, whether it's because you like art or because you like movies or because you like you know, you need to have a critical way of looking at a piece of work and recognizing what makes it good um, and what makes it maybe, and it's not even a question necessarily of good or bad, what makes it right or what makes it wrong, you know, because I, I, I typically don't try and make too many quality judgments on work um, because it's more about right and wrong than good or bad, um, if I'm being honest in recruitment, because it's, it, you know, it, um, so that's kind of my approach to it, really. It's like, you know, what are the signals that tell me it's a good piece of work versus what's a bad piece of work? And maybe this is a weird question to ask, but is it more that, let's say, for recruiting designers, you need to almost have an artistic sort of side to you? Like, for example, for tech roles, you really need to be interested in the thing, right? And in the in the actual mm. devices or in the software and yeah. and maybe even some coding like some some tech recruiters mm. they'll get into maybe coding yeah. a commercial recruiter doing a lot of sales roles they really need to be very bubbly extroverted and and really like talking to people but if you're a designer then you're you have to almost have like an artistic sort of creative um side to yourself right it kind of feels that way almost I think, yeah, I guess so. I mean, if I think about all the really great design recruiters that I've either worked with or that I know or I've communicated with, 
you know, I, I think all of them at some point have, have shown some interest in what they're doing. You know, they, a lot of them that I know are either designers themselves or, yeah, they're artistic. Um, you know, I mean, as I said before, I'm, I'm not really, the only thing I can really link it back to is the fact that I have a film degree. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of learned how to kind of read films almost in terms of lighting. Well, that's still quite relevant. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't have film film degrees. And, no, no, uh, but I think, what, yeah. That yeah helps, so I, you know? So I think what it is, is, is the ability to kind of critically look at something with a very objective eye and recognize the qualities that you're looking at. And, you know, um, so that's the only thing that really I can think that links my experience to that. And I enjoy it. You know, I love talking to designers. I love asking them what they're, what, 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 what work they like, you know, what apps are you using right now that you really like? What websites or experiences do you think are really great? Um, you, you tend to get the same ones come up over and over again. And as I say, you'll start to recognize what it is about them and just say to them, well, what is it about this one that you like in particular? And they'll tell you and you'd be like, yeah, I wouldn't have even noticed that. But you're right, that does make it look really slick or it does make it feel really, really great to use or it does like visually, it looks really crisp and really beautiful kind of thing, you know. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's what makes it really enjoyable for me. I mean, it's a challenge, obviously, you know, um, it's, it's really hard sometimes, you know, to find someone who you think is perfect and has got a really nice piece of work and the design director's like, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> so you have to be kind of resilient. But I think what you have to do, as I keep coming back to, is, okay, if you don't like it, that's cool. But you have to tell me why you don't like it. And I can't yeah. really understand it. You can't be too fluffy about it. You can't just be like, oh, I just don't like it. You know, there's no craft there. Or it's like, well, tell me what you mean by that. Um, yeah. And you you soon start to get it. You know, it's, it's it's remarkable. But I think you do need an interest in it. And you do need to really want to get better at it, I think. Now, I had a question about the design market as a whole, because I remember there's a huge amount of people that are more contractors, right? Like it's a very almost mm-hmm. contract driven market. I mean, would you say it's easier to hire for perm designers or or contract designers? And also, how do you I mean, is there a difference in the quality or in, in the personalities and the designer groups between contract and, and permanent? Huh. OK, that's a good question. So I think. Some of this is just around, I would say, technology and and work in general. You know, people are more and more these days geared towards flexible, fluid working arrangements, whether you're a designer or an engineer, you know, working remotely, doing projects rather than, you know, careers no longer are 10 years in one company and then gold watch kind of thing, you know. So mm-hmm. I think the nature of work has impacted on some of that. In terms of the quality and in terms of like the differences, I think, between contracts. So contracts, you you use contracts for lots of reasons, right? If you need something done really quickly, you don't have that talent in the house, you you buy it in quite quickly. Um, So you tend to find that contractors in the main are very good at like getting on with stuff, getting into it. You know, they're not usually involved in the overall kind of, you know, they just just get in, they do the work, they deliver it. You know, they they, they kind of get out in the main, in the main. I think with permanent designers, I think um, quite often they are looking for... So I think with designers in general, I think the quality of the work and the interesting things that they're working on is always really important. So I worked in an agency where even though designers were permanent, they never really wanted to be on the same client for too long because there will come a point where you've either delivered something or you've been working on a problem for a certain amount of time and you just want to do something different. 
So I think there is that nature to designers where they want to keep interested in what they're doing. They want to keep their skills sharp. They want to experience new things. They want to work with new technologies. They want to work in different types of teams because it's one of those disciplines and professions where the more people you work with, ultimately, you know, this is a really good way of getting better is to kind of put yourself in different types of situations. So I think that's possibly why designers outside of the normal kind of general work related stuff. I think one of the reasons they like to contract is because that, that richness of experience of different types of work and different types of companies, I think really, really goes into making a designer really, really good. Um, and when you get the really good pro contract designers, the ones that kind of do it for a living, you can really tell because they're really good at picking up information quickly, assimilating into the culture, the ways of working. You know, they're not too rigid in, oh, I only do it like this, or I only do it like that. They really mold themselves around what the company needs and wants kind of thing. You know, so, you know, I've, some of the best designers I've worked with are contractors. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, you know, the best designers are perm or contract. You know, I think the best designers are able to, I think mold the way that they work and think into whatever situation that they're in um, and have really good basic core craft skills um, and, and then kind of go from there. Yeah, I asked that because um, it was such a difficult sort of role to, to fill when I was working on this product design role. And I would go into the market and a good more than half of the people, it kind of felt like a bit more than half of the people were contracting or only interested in, uh -huh. in contract work. But we had to, so I had to fill a, a permanent role, a permanent designer role. So yeah. it was also tricky to engage people and discuss, okay, what would compel you to take a permanent role? Mm -hmm. um, what's your day rate, you know? And sometimes a lot of times yeah, yeah. day rates would be higher than what they could earn in a permanent role. Sure. Um, but also sometimes the hiring manager felt, you know what, if someone is a contractor, then they, I don't want to use the word jumpy, but obviously they might want to change, um, you know, in the mid to long term, right? So it's also a bit of a yeah. tricky one if you're doing a permanent role and, uh, and the market is a bit more contract heavy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you're working on a permanent product design role? Yeah. Right, yeah. So product design is kind of an interesting one because... Um, it's kind of one of those things that seems to have become more and more um, sort of prevalent in terms of people's job titles, really with the rise of, I would say, sort of technology companies like your, your Facebooks, your Instagrams, <laughs> Deliveroo, obviously where, where I used to work as well. Um, and it's one of those kind of nebulous terms that means different things in different places, right? So a lot of people will describe themselves as a product designer because their skill set is that they work across that process that I just talked about, research, mm -hmm. user experience, and also the visual part of it. And that'll be pretty solid across that whole thing. What you often find with product designers, I think, is they tend to work on, um, if you think about a digital product like the Deliveroo app, for example, that app is never really finished, right? So product designers typically, <coughs> again, I don't, want to, I don't want designers to shout at me when you post <laughs> I'll choose my words carefully. But, but to my mind, when I look for product designers, I'm really looking for people that have worked on an app or a digital product and are kind of iterating and designing over a period of time to gradually sort of improve it and gradually build upon it. So usually product designers are much more kind of in the detail and tweaking small things that actually have big business impact. So it could be as simple as moving a button on a screen somewhere because you, they've realized that users, when they test it on users, they realize that they get more people clicking on it in this space. So I'm being really simplistic there, but... To my mind, product designers quite often will be people that have worked 
in-house and usually in some form of technology company where if they're working on, let's say, WhatsApp or a very small function of Facebook, they're working on something, and but they're going quite deep on it and making small incremental changes. So the skill set is actually very, very similar. Um, what they deliver is very similar, but the context in which they're doing it is usually very different. And when you work in a company like Deliveroo or Facebook, it's all about users, engagement. It's all about getting people to use your product and stay there and keep using it. So you, the really great product designers I've worked with are really aligned with business. Okay, so they're, they're obviously craftsmen in the sense that they're brilliant designers, but they also, because they're in the company and because they're working on a certain part of a product, they go really deep on what the user is all about, but also how that relates to the business goals. Because quite, quite often these technology companies are obviously aggressively scaling, aggressively growing. And so they're working in environments quite often where it's very high pressure, very much kind of, you know, roll your sleeves up, work across a whole process, but also deliver business results at the end of it. So you're using design almost as a business tool. So that's quite often, if I'm talking to a designer who describes himself as a product designer and I'm recruiting a product design role, normally if you go quite deep on what they actually do and the impact of the work they have and how they do it, you can often differentiate between product designers and people that just are really good UX UI designers. And there's a lot of overlap between the two. So yeah, you can tell it's a pretty nuanced kind of area to get into, but that would be my kind of judgment call, I suppose, on that. Yeah, that, that product role is quite tricky. I mean, um, at least the, the the brief was mainly, so I needed to look for someone that's, um, I mean, the title is product designer, but um, they needed to have done, they needed to have had experience, like 60% of their experience needed to be UX based. So they needed to tilt sure. towards UX, but they needed to have maybe a touch of UI, like a 30 to 40% experience with UI. Yeah. They ideally maybe from a financial services background, but not necessary. But the interesting part is that ideally from like a web web design, web web design type type background. So ideally yeah. not mobile. And uh, I mean, at the same time, it was just a, it was just a tricky role again, just coming back to the contracting element of, of the environment. But it was just very interesting because then you get to dive into these portfolios. Like it's a really, it's really fun roles. I gotta, I gotta admit because you, you, there's a, um, again, just coming back to this, but there's a creative element. There's a, almost like a, creational like what's a good way of putting it like just looking at portfolios you get to see people's work and yeah, what sure. you're passionate yeah, yeah. about whereas yeah. if i'm recruiting for tech like software like i find it really interesting but if i look at a bunch of code you know mm. what i mean i'm like well yeah, i don't know yeah, what yeah. i'm looking at you know yeah so, no totally yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's um i mean it's a, I mean, experience design in, in particular is you know we obviously talked a lot about design in, in in this conversation but i mean experience design really is um, it's kind of art and science, right? So, you know, there's a lot of science and psychology behind designing products that people use, even down to, you know, the ethics around how long people spend on screens, okay. uh, some of the prompts and, and some of the patterns that companies use to persuade people to maybe purchase something. And, you know, some of the language, you know, when you start recruiting user experience designers, you notice it in everything. Right? Mm. Um, so there's a lot of kind of science into it, but ultimately, as I say, there's an artistic element to it as well, which is, you know, color typography brand, you know, the kind of classic design sort of um, 
you know, sort of, sort of things that, that people kind of get into, you know. So, yeah, it makes it really interesting for sure. Now, we spoke before, we had a call a few days ago and you mentioned that actually recruitment and design, they have a lot in common. And that, you know, if you're doing design roles, you can actually, almost like your, your recruitment, like you get new perspectives and, mm. and maybe you learn a thing or two. So I just wanted to discuss that because I find it really interesting to know that, you know, recruitment and design, they have a lot in common. I mean, what would be the things yeah. that you would say mm. they have in common? Yeah, well, this is kind of when I was recruiting service designers when I was at Sapien. And like, this is by no means um, a new concept. People have been linking the two for ages, you know, so it wasn't like a, an original thought. But it just kind of suddenly dawned on me that, you know, um, there's a lot of similarities, you know, as you say. So I think basically, first and foremost, we're both in the business of people. So recruitment is all about people and design, particularly digital design um, and even sort of more advertising marketing it's all about people it's understanding people their motivations what's going to motivate them to buy your product what's going to motivate them to download your app and use your product and then from a recruitment side of things what's going to motivate them to come and join your company versus the other 50 companies that, that want to hire them so at a very basic level it's about understanding and and providing a service for people the service aspects of it as well, you know, all great services are designed, you know, design uh, services don't kind of happen by accident. If you think about some of the best services you've ever experienced, you know, whether it's customer service or wherever it might be, it's been really carefully designed. Um, and I started to see the kind of similarities between designing a really great recruitment experience um, and sort of designing a great customer experience. So whether you're buying something on Amazon or whether you're engaging with a company, um, let's say you engage with them through Twitter because you saw someone post an ad on Twitter saying, hey, we're hiring. What does that journey look like from going from Twitter to the company's careers page? What does the company's careers page then look like? What's going to make you then click on the apply now link? What does the apply application process need to look like for you to complete it? Because you and I have both probably completed some applications recently where you're looking at <laughs> screw this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're automatically kind of thinking about how this has been designed you know so and then what does the what does the interview process look like both in terms of the process but also the experience for the candidate and not just the candidate the interviewers and the hiring manager so i started to understand that there are all these kind of players in the in the in the service or the journey um if you want to use that term and if you think about it from the point of view of all of those individuals and design is all about empathy and all about seeing things through the eyes of people that are going to be using your product. So you can better design things that they want to use. If you start seeing things through the eyes of candidates, through the eyes of hiring managers, through the eyes of interviewers, through the eyes of people managers, you start to understand or surface problems. You start to see opportunities of things that you can make better and things that you can optimize to work better. So I started to kind of really connect those things together. And I think, you know, when you're talking to people day in, day out about experience and about users and about people, you know, you start to bring some of that into your own work. And that could be anything from just simply mapping out a candidate journey, you know, thinking about all the different channels through which a candidate would hear about your company and think about what that journey looks like. Thinking about the story that your company is telling through those different channels, which is basically marketing, right? It's like your marketing principles in recruitment are, you know, very prevalent now, whether it's through, you know, brand stories or whether it's through video content. You know, I started to understand that 
if you added a designer or a creative to a recruitment team, you would immediately make improvements to your story or to your process because they see things through the eyes of people and they can kind of create things, you know. So I think the other thing is also data and feedback. You know, design is all about learning about what works and what doesn't work, testing it on people, understanding what's right and what's wrong, and and then changing it asking people for feedback. And again, it's the same in recruitment. Data-informed or data-driven recruitment is obviously huge right now. Getting those metrics, understanding what those metrics are telling you, where you can optimize your process and all the rest of it. Customer, um, sorry, candidate surveys, you know, tell us why your experience was great and not so great. These are all design practices, you know. Um, So there's loads of overlap between the two. Um, And I think one of the things that, I've reflected on in the, in the, in the time since leaving Deliveroo is like, although I specialize really specifically in design, it's actually made me a better recruiter. I think um, I've managed to take things from design that have helped me sort of, you know, design processes that are more human, more efficient, use data in a way, which maybe I wouldn't have done before. So yeah, there's a ton of overlap, I would say. It's so funny that you put it that way. I mean, if I compare, obviously, from listening to you and then I look at design and then I look at things like what well, we discussed, candidate experience, there's that element of employer branding and, yeah. and using data to improve your recruitment processes that's closer to design and farther away from, let's say, the other discipline that recruitment gets compared to a lot, which is sales, right? Sure. And when I think sales, I think... And if you compare it to recruitment, it's a lot of like a lot of the agency stuff where it's like, okay, lead generation, uh, you know, cold calling, emails, um, Mm. and then, okay, you have 100 conversations, you follow a script, um, and then you add urgency, you get people as quickly as possible down the pipeline, and then you get all of these sales tactics almost taught to you like, okay, if you get an objection, this is how you handle it on the phone. If a candidate says no, this is what you respond with. Um, Mm. If they're um, negotiating salary, then you respond by saying, okay, well, the, you know, X, Y, and Z sort of sales tactic. So it's very interesting to look at it less from like a sales perspective and more from like a design perspective and think, okay, but let's think about, let's look at it from the candidate's perspective, not from our own perspective and what's good for us, but let's look at it from the candidate's perspective and how we can improve things so that they'll feel like they're making the best decision with us. Sure, I guess so. But I think even taking that sales analogy, I mean, sales is storytelling. So I have something that I want to sell you I need to find a need that you have that my my thing that I'm providing is going to satisfy, right? So, you know, and again, working in-house, you know, you, you understand really quickly, you know, what are some of the really great things about working here? You know, what are some of the things that I should be included in my LinkedIn message, in my conversation with designers or, or anyone, frankly, about what's so great to work here? And I think that's where recruitment's come on leaps, leaps and bounds in the last few years. You know, companies are starting to figure out that, you know, it's – Companies need to really understand what it what the motivations and drivers are for people to come work there. Um, and it's a form of sales, right? And it's not going to be right for everyone. And, you know, I'm never going to be someone that's going to force someone into taking a job that they don't want to take. You know, I take a lot of time to really get to know what's going to motivate, motivate and drive people to leave business A to come to business B. Because I know that if they are genuinely interested in leaving, there's probably going to be a few more companies that are going to want them, right? So it's really important as early as possible in the process to 
do some sales with a soft with a with a small s you know um understand their needs and wants and motivations and drivers be really clear about what you can offer what you can't offer what the story is and between you make a call as to whether this is the next best thing for you to do so there is totally sales involved but i always think of sales more in terms of story um you know sales to me is quite a hard word where it's like you know, forcing people to do something they maybe don't want to yeah, do. Yeah, you know? yeah, it has um, a, it, it's acquired a bit of a weird connotation almost when you think or you hear the word sales, you think bashing the phone and then that sure. like hardcore sort of like, yeah, sure. you know, mentality where it's like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, no, sure. But I mean, it's a, it's totally, recruitment is totally sales, but it comes back to what I said before, you know, recruitment is a, is a people business and sales really is a people business. I, I would say, you know, understanding people, what they need, what they want, what motivates them, what drives them, what's going to make them take that next step. There's nothing worse than hiring someone who six months later comes to talk to you and says, oh, dude, this isn't working out. You know, it's pretty heartbreaking. So, you know, there, there's just nothing to be gained in, in taking that kind of, you know, Clearly, you know, objection handling is is part of any recruiter's job, but there comes a point where it's like, do you know what? Yeah, maybe this isn't the right move for you and good luck and let's keep in touch and maybe something changes further down the line kind of thing, you know, so. Awesome. Well, I think it seems like we covered a lot of the products, sorry, the design stuff, um, Mark. So thank you yeah. so much. Maybe just just to wrap up, I think I saw a, uh, a Slayer coffee mug and a, and a Faith oh, yeah. t-shirt that you're wearing. So just wanted to unpack that a little bit in terms of musical taste just to get to know you a bit better yeah yeah i've been um <clears throat> yeah i've been i've been rocking out since uh yeah pretty early on um you know guns and roses nirvana back in the day all the way through yeah um pretty pretty much yeah most of my listening is is i would describe as um either noisy um aggressive loud or a combination of those those three i would say um um yeah, it's great. Pre-creative, um, you know, really good way of, you know, connecting with designers sometimes. You know, I've, I've definitely recruited designers before where we've bonded over <laughs> shit, um, which is always cool. Um, it's a good kind of thing to talk about and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty, pretty big deal. Yeah, really into it. And just a, just a final question, but and I don't know if it's a weird question because of your film degree, but tell me yeah. about your favorite movies, man. I mean, I'm just curious to know, like, what um, you know, if someone someone that specialized in that, like, what what do you prefer to to watch or or right. to go to the movies and watch? Let's say. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the mood, right? I mean, <laughs> one of the things about lockdown and, and not working is you got to fill your time with stuff, and sometimes you want to fill it with something that's pretty light and easy, and sometimes you want to get into it so i most recently watched the new charlie kaufman movie movie on netflix um which i think is called um i'm thinking of ending things and that's definitely going to need a second watch for me to get my head around for sure um one of my favorite movies is the big lebowski because it's just so watchable and it's just so wonderfully written the characters are amazing the story is ridiculous but funny. Um, That's the Coen Brothers, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Coen Brothers, yeah, generally uh, make make stuff that I like a lot. Um, I would say Hitchcock as well. If you're interested in film, um, you can pretty much do a film degree just by watching Hitchcock movies. Um, how to tell stories, how to keep it really tight, 
how to get straight into it. You know, they're like 85, 90 minutes long, straight in there, beginning, middle end, you know, twists, turns, that kind of thing. Um, I wrote my dissertation at university on David Lynch. Oh, wow. Man, uh, you're taking the, the, the big guns, yeah. man. <laughs> I, regret, I, re- I regretted that pretty much straight away, I've got to say, but um, it was super interesting. And obviously, I, I would say if I was to name one favorite, it would probably be, be David Lynch, just because you can rewatch those films and get different things out of them each time. Um, you know, Twin Peaks, one of the best TV shows ever made. Um, you know, he's a pretty interesting dude as well in terms of like the meditation that he does and he's an artist as well. So pretty creative dude. If you listen to any of his interviews, he's pretty interesting to listen to. So yeah, I would say, I would say those, those those are probably my, my go-tos I would say. Yeah. Yeah. One of the better ones that I've seen recently is, I don't know if you've seen any of Jordan Peele's movies. So us or get out. Um, So I saw us a few weeks ago at, and it is pretty mind-blowing, actually. I mean... What is it called? Us. Us. Okay, is that a new one? Yeah, it's one of the new horror movies that he did. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's it's really okay. good. Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely saw Get Out. Um, that was pretty That was pretty interesting, pretty good, yeah. Yeah, well, this one, it's it follows that similar thing about race and uh-huh. and and, I suppose, American culture, but it takes a really weird turn. A really, really, really weird turn. So if you're into that David Lynch, almost surreal, like what's going on, then I can highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always good to, yeah. I mean, like I said before, sometimes you just want to throw something on and laugh for 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Other times you want to throw something on and like three days later, you're still thinking about it. Like the last film I saw at the cinema was Parasite. And that was something that I kind of thought about for about a week afterwards. (laughs) But you wouldn't want to go through life watching just those sorts of movies because uh yeah <laughs> yeah um, pretty complex you go crazy yeah but yeah awesome well uh, we'll catch up on movies soon then mark thanks again for your time Ooh, anytime thanks a lot appreciate it you too have a good day bye bye it was great speaking with mark hardy you can find his linkedin profile in the episode description if you like this episode then please hit subscribe or follow thanks again and stay safe